as you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, what is a healthy church, and, um, and that's been about a year and a half, and I think it's going to go for another 10, 12, 15 years. Uh, we're going to keep talking about a healthy church um, because it's a, it's a lifelong pursuit. It's, it's what we're called to be. It's why we're gathered here. If we're not here to be um, a healthy church, there's only a couple other reasons that are good that you would be here. One is you are someone who, who needs something. You, maybe you need, you need hope or you know, your you know, life has become um, just overwhelming and, and you're looking, or maybe you just need answers. You're looking for truth. And we welcome you here. If that's why you're here, please, please come. But for those of you who, you know, who are here and you feel like this is your, this is your home, this is your church, the only reason that we have for being together needs to be so that we can continually become healthier. That that become just our, our focus and, and not always knowing what that means. And, you know, I... I summarized, and some of you might, after I tell you this, might go like, well, why did you take two months to summarize what you did in 45 minutes on Friday night? But I summarized the Healthy Church series that we did back in um, October, a couple years ago, a year and a half ago, that I summarized that, that eight-part series on Friday night. And, um, you know, I know that people heard it but I also know that once they hear it, what they do is they go back and they still filter it. Even though they know that what I was saying was from God's Word, and even though they know that, that you know, we should want to have healthy churches, they have to kind of redo it in their minds because it always gets back to, oh, and that means we'll be big. Or that means we'll become more influential. Or that means that you know, we'll have you know, uh, a building or more buildings or more programs and things like that. And that's not the case. And I know most of you aren't that way because you've been here where we've consistently stayed on this, that what is a healthy church? And that's what we need to be committed to. We're going to let God take care of all the rest of it. What we're going to focus on is what he's told us to focus on, is being a healthy church. Because what if, what if, I was talking to Eric yesterday after the, um, after the conference, and, and I said, what if God needs churches to be healthy to, on the first level, give people the opportunity to see what happens when, when Jesus Christ changes their lives? So what if that's the first thing? But here's, hear what we're saying. Give people the opportunity. They get to see it. But they still have to make a choice of whether they're going to join it. And what if we need to do this so that, so that we can then say people really are without excuse? That anybody who's in our community, anybody who's our, our friends and our neighbors, that, that we can say that it's sad that they, that they never wanted to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But we know that we gave them a clear picture. See, it's one thing if people aren't doing it because 
they're getting this distorted picture. It's one thing if, you know, the only thing they know about Christians is that church from, you know, Kansas or whatever that goes around and, and pickets at, at funerals where people died and have these signs about, you know, how God's, you know, going to condemn our nation because of homosexuality or whatever else. If that's the picture that they get, okay, I, will, I don't want to join that religion either, okay? But if, we're, if we know we've done the best we can, not to give them a perfect picture, not to give them some, some kind of Disney version of the happiest place on earth, but real people living real lives, but doing in such a way with this, this unusual, supernatural love for one another. What, 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 can, they, what can they say at that point? can't say, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't see. And so if that's what God's called us to be and called us to do, which is exactly what he's called us to be and called us to do, then it's no longer about who's going to say yes, who's going to say, I want to join you. It's all about being faithful and consistent and showing again and again to this world what happened. When Jesus Christ gets a hold of our lives. So we want to be a healthy church. And we want to be a healthy church, not just to be healthy, not just to say, you know, we, you know, we have a really good group and that makes my life better. I believe a really good group does make our lives better. I believe my life is better because I'm part of this church. But I'm not here just to make my life better. And that's not why God wants us here. It's not why he wants us to be a healthy church. And, and the, this, is, this is it. I'm going to tell you. He wants you to be a healthy church. And we say it in a lot of different ways. I'm going to say it in a, in a kind of really plain, straightforward way. He wants us to be a healthy church so that we might change the world. Get that. This isn't about us just having our little private enclave. He wants us to change the world. And he doesn't want us to change the world by, by, through legislature, you know, passing laws. He doesn't want us to change the world by, by you know, going out and, and, you know, forcing people or arguing with them and trying to get them to become, you know, believers. He wants us to change the world by being a healthy church that has a consistent witness that's living that out in this world, which means that we do tell people when somebody says, when somebody notices something about us, we say, yeah, it's because of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. We tell them. When we see somebody hurting and, and they, they seem hopeless, we tell them of the hope that's in Jesus Christ. But even when we're not saying things, we're proclaiming God's word and how we live life together. We change the world. You see, we can't change the world from inside this room. Well, we kind of can because now, you know, at least the sermons go out over the Internet. So maybe we can get the message out that way. But really, we can't do much from within this room. We come to this room not to change the world. That's our ultimate goal. We come to this room 
to change ourselves, to have God change us, to have his word and his spirit do something in our lives to help us become more like Jesus and to become the church that we need to be. That's how we come to this room. And then we go out of this room and we be the church. And so that's what Christianity is about. It's about changing the world, but not changing the world the way the world changes the world. Not through force, not through any kind of you know, coercion or, or this, you know, manipulation. It's by living the truth we know. That's it. And so I know that bugs some people because some people, they don't want to change the world. That's, that wasn't the deal they signed. They became a Christian and maybe they didn't read the fine print which is called the Bible, but they just saw the part that says, you know, the kind of good stuff they would get out of being a Christian. They thought it was just about their own life or their own family. Understand, this has always been God's plan. It's always been a plan that's for the entire world. And he invites us to be a part of it. And so we want to be healthy. Unfortunately, sometimes along the way, we give in to the world, and instead of being healthy, we just want to look healthy. Okay? Um, I've kind of worked out my, pretty much my whole life off and on, and, and there were times when I was younger, and I just wanted to look healthy. I didn't really want to be healthy. Um, you know, I had this crazy notion when I was in my 20s that, I wanted to weigh 200 pounds and have like 3% body fat and all that, right? Why? I mean, I wasn't going to become a professional wrestler. Maybe I thought about it. But I really wasn't. So why would I do that? It's just because I wanted to look like I was healthy. But that doesn't mean I was healthy just because I looked that way. And it's funny how we get... We get, we get like, kind of influenced by looks. I have a picture of something that some of you will remember. It's a picture, oh, that's not the picture. Um, <laughs> it was a can of, do we have that can anywhere? No? Okay, well anyways, I'll just describe it for you. But if you remember in the 90s, what um, companies did to try to kind of bring down the price of food, they created um, what they call generic labeling. You guys remember this? So like if you bought Spam, it didn't say Spam with all the colors, it was just white label with black letters that said luncheon meat or question mark, what's inside here? Um, it was stuff like that. If it was, if it was you know, soup, it was just soup. That's all it was. It, was, it, didn't, it didn't have a brand, it didn't say you know, any you know, Campbell's or anything like that. It was just soup and it was black on, on white. And sometimes it, the contents were different, but sometimes they were exactly the same. And yet people could swear that it was different. And if they had to choose between the generic brand and the exact same thing that had the nice packaging that was attached to a fancy marketing campaign, 
guess which one they chose. So much so that if you're a child of the 90s, you believed that the word generic meant junk. You thought it meant inferior. In the 90s, people would say, well, that's so generic. And it was a criticism. Just to help you, generic is just an adjectival form of the word general. That's all it is. It's, it's neither good nor bad. It just means general. But it was so, so much was based on what the packaging looked like that you could have the exact same contents inside and it didn't matter. And we're all that way. You know, I remember back in the day, you know, I would go to Liberty House at Alamoana and I, I couldn't afford Liberty House. If we ever got gifts from my mom that was in a Liberty House box, it's because someone else had given her something in her Liberty House box, and so she would put our stuff in the Liberty House box. But anyways, we'd go to Liberty House, and then I would, I would you know, see things there, and then I would walk down the mall to another store, the exact same thing, but much cheaper. But it was all because of the, the packaging. It was the packaging. Oh, I got it from Liberty House. And so we're all kind of like caught up in that. And it works the other way too. It works the way when we, when we see things that, that are made to look right when there's nothing behind them. If it, has anybody ever been to like Universal Studios or any, one of these, you know, Paramount, you know, one of these places where they, they take you to a movie set? Looks real, right? But oftentimes, right behind that wall is nothing. It's just made to look real. And then everything that's in the interior is shot in a studio somewhere. But it looks real. And there are a lot of churches that are like movie sets. They can, they can get the front right, and it looks awesome, and it looks real, and it looks healthy. But there's not much going on inside. And the reverse is true, too. You also have churches that, that have that kind of generic wrapping on it. They don't got all the trappings, you know? And yet, inside is something that's as good and oftentimes better. Because it's healthy. And so, when we think about being healthy, what we find is... You know, we start talking about love, and then we see that a lot of people in the world, they, they, they're attracted to that message of love. But they're more interested in having, making it look like they love than actually loving. They, they, they know how important love is. You talk to so many people, they'll say that. And they just think like, oh, I can manufacture love. I can do this. But what they can really do is manufacture something that looks like love. And so just like churches that want to look healthy but not be healthy, you have a lot of people that want to look like they love but not really love. And certainly not love to the level that we see in, in the Gospels and in, in, in the New Testament when we see the demands of love, it quickly reveals 
whether we just got it on the outside or whether it's really all the way in there, down to our core. And so, you know, we, we, we're caught up in this, this thought that, that we, if we just try harder, if we just try harder, we can make it happen. And oftentimes, like I've said before, I would rather people try to at least look like they love and at least try than not try. I would rather that happen. But I would really rather have people understand the high demands of love. They're so high that we cannot do it on our own. So if you want to change the world, we have to be changed in a way that we can love as only God can love. You see, because this love is unconditional love. This love is love that loves everyone all the time perfectly. Everyone all the time perfectly. We don't got that. I have no doubt that a lot of our politicians love America. I have no doubt that they, they have good motivation for what they do, but they, they cannot love everyone. And so they end up just loving segments of the population that might help them get elected. But they can't love everyone all the time, perfectly. And we've talked about before the picture of, of love, the high demand of love, is that, is, as we see happens in the, on the cross, where Jesus is loving his enemies, truly loving them, wanting God to forgive them for goodness sakes while they're killing him. I've said this a lot, and I've not had anybody say, well, I could do that. But if you're somebody who says, oh, I can do that. I could have done that. Yeah, no problem. I think we see it's a, it's a high demand to be that way. Because we don't just love our enemies. I think sometimes people get confused and they think like, oh, Jesus says love your enemies, so I'm going to love my enemies. No, you have to love your enemies while at the same time you're loving your friends. And the same time you're loving the strangers. And the same time you're loving your family. You have to love them all, all the time, perfectly. The best we can do on our own is just kind of manufacture something that kind of looks like it. So here's John, helping this church, helping them understand the importance of love that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. And he's wrapping up, he's getting near the end. And he gives this great chapter. You know, a lot of times when they talk about love, you know, they talk about um, 1 Corinthians 13, great Great chapter on love. One of Paul's great statements on love. 1 John 4, it's another one. 1 John 4 is another chapter you need to know. It tells us so much about God's love. And what does he say? He says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us 
that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. I thought about having uh, us memorize that first verse because I think that first verse is so important. And I thought about helping you memorize it by, by doing this song that has kind of a cheesy melody. But then I thought better of it and I'm not going to do it. But I still want to encourage you to know this verse. This verse is so important. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and who ever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What is he saying? He's saying what I've been saying and I am always happy when the Bible agrees with me. It makes me feel better about what I'm telling you. And he's saying love this perfect love, it can only come from God and it's only given to those who are born of God. This is getting back to this biblical principle that we find and it's also one we find in science which is like begets like. And so there's this, there's this, this thing where you have to be born of God. So when you're born of God, you you, it's this way of saying you get something that God has. You can't be a God, but you can get something that's fundamental to his character. And what John is saying here, and he's, he's saying God is love. And just in case you want to say, well, yeah, 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 that's what everybody says. So Christianity is like every other faith. You know, God is love, so really all we should care about is love. And as long as we love, we're good. No, you're not understanding what this passage says. This passage is saying it is impossible for you to do it on your own. It is only possible if you're born of God. And you're born of God when you have faith in Jesus Christ. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus promises to do something to you so that you are truly born of God. You can't reverse this, and if you want to ever ask me later, I'll tell you. Grammatically in Greek, you can't reverse this to say love is God. That's the prevailing view that's growing in America is the view that love is God. Like love is the most important, highest thing. It's, it's, it's who God is. No, it only can be read God is love, not love is God. And so he's saying that you have to be born of God. And he says, God even shows us something about this love. And the more you know God, the more you understand how incredible this love is. He says, God showed his love to us. He sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In other places, sent his only son in the world so we might be saved. Same thing. 
sent his son into the world. God, God who is perfect within himself, who had no need to create, who creates out of love, doesn't only just create out of love, he then redeems out of love. And even though he was not the one who caused the problems, he doesn't have anything to blame here. He could have easily said, ah, you guys don't want to, you know, join me? Fine. I will do like Thanos and snap my fingers. And not half of you will disappear, all of you will disappear. As though you never existed. Oh, God could do that. But God is love. And God says, yeah, they don't deserve it. And what they really deserve is to be punished. But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to, to go. I'm going to go in the form of the Son. And the Son is going to show them the way. And then he's going to become the propitiation. He's going to become this sacrifice. A lot of times people like to clean up the word propitiation and they want to use this other word. And when I say the other word, you're going to go, well, what's the difference? Because you don't know what either words mean. But the other word is expiation. And the reason they like expiation is because expiation doesn't really have one of the elements that's in propitiation. They, all, they both mean something to the effect of a sacrifice to satisfy something. Propitiation is to not just satisfy some conditions, but it also implies that God is angry. And there's a lot of people who, who cannot see how, how love and anger go together. And I'm like, have they never had kids? <laughs> they never had kids. I mean, who are these scholars who say these things? Who are these people who say these things? If you're like me, you have been maybe more angry at your kids than you've been angry at any other object in the universe. And yet, you never stopped loving them. Ever. And when that anger was right, not the times you're just angry because they you know, mess something up and inconvenience you or making too much noise or you're trying to watch a football game, whatever. But when your anger is because, because they're doing things that, that you don't know what to do because if someone was hurting your kid, you know what to do. But when your kid is hurting your, his, himself or herself, you don't know what to do because the victim and the victimizer are the same person. And it's really hard. And you get angry. But if you love them, sometimes you need to let them know. And it's okay for me to uh, tell my kids when I was not happy with them. If they wrecked my car, which none of them did, but if they wrecked my car, I wouldn't be like, ah, you know, it's all, it's all good. There's lots of cars in the world. No, they need to know. If we told them, make sure they pack everything the night before for the things they have to do the next day, and then I get a call from their school saying, oh, I forgot my shoes. 
can you, dad, who basically sits around all day waiting for me to call, bring, no, they knew. My kids knew. But it wasn't just because I was angry. It's because I wanted to help them. And, you know, my, do- my wife and I were so puzzled when our kids started going to other people's homes because we swore our kids must have been sneaking out because we would pick up our kids and the parents would come down and go, your daughters are awesome. They, after we ate, they offered to, you know, help with the dishes. You know, they wanted to do all these things. They were like, who are these kids, right? <laughs> who are these kids? But on another hand, as parents, we felt good because we know some of the times when we were a little upset with them, that they were learning that their actions affect other people. One of the biggest problems with when, when parents coddle their kids that way is they raise these kids who think the only world is right there. Their world, their actions, how it affects them. You know, I go to the gym and there's this guy walks in the gym talking on a video phone with his girlfriend walking into the locker room where all the men are in there doing what men do in locker rooms. I'm like, do you realize there's other people in the universe? And I wonder what kind of parents didn't get that through their thick heads. So just because we're angry, it's not incompatible with love. And yet that's what people think. So they don't get it. There's the propitiation for our sins. God's anger is it's directed at us because we're hurting ourselves. And he's trying to say, no, there is another way. There is a better way, and it's the way I've told you from the beginning. And you couldn't get it, and instead of saying you didn't get it, too bad for you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you another opportunity. And I'm the one who's going to pay the price. I'm the one who's going to watch his son suffer and die for you. He's the propitiation for our sins. It's awesome. It's an incredible passage of scripture. So we must be born of God if we're going to love with God's love. John makes that very clear. You have to be born of God if you're going to love with God's love. If you're going to try to love with that perfect love that always, all the time, everyone loves. And you might go, well, I guess I don't have that because I'm not that way. Well, don't be so quick. You might have it. But there's still that other you in there that fights against it. There's still that other thing that should have died on the cross, but it's still, you know, going. And sometimes even if that's gone, we also struggle with this because we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it looks like when we love the way only God can love because 
We don't see it enough. It's one of the reasons that we need to do this more and more in the community of faith because that should be the place we see it. But we don't see it. We don't see what people are doing. And part of it is because it's, it's hard to point it out. It's hard for me to, you know, be hanging out with you guys and, and then saying, hey, watch this, I'm about to do something uh, expressing God's perfect love. Just watch, sit back. That would be weird. And it would be certainly not humble. It's hard because love doesn't draw attention to itself in the sense of, hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing. And some of us are just very, 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 very slow. And we don't see things. And so, if we're not seeing it, we don't know, we don't know how it's supposed to come out. And so we struggle that way. But what you have to ask yourself, and I can't answer this question for you, is that if you look inside, if you look past all your, your weaknesses and your failings and everything else, and somewhere at the very core of who you are, you know that there is a love there that desires to love everyone perfectly all the time. And that desires to to love the way that God loves. And that maybe has its moments here and there, but it's there at the core. You know. You know. And it's important that we know. Because it tells us that we were born of God. And so he says, he says, when we love like God, it's when we live through Jesus. And it's kind of difficult to unpack that little phrase, through Jesus. It doesn't, he doesn't say like he says in other places, in Christ. But he has this idea of, of through Jesus. And, and that word, that word through can be translated in different ways. But it, but it certainly has this idea that, that we're not doing this on our own. We're not doing this on our own. That it's us bringing the best we can do. But because it's going through Jesus, Jesus is going to do something with it even greater. Maybe he's going to help clean up some of those imperfections. He's going to help get rid of some of that pride, some of that selfishness. Oh, we still got it. But when we, we have that moment to express love and it's through Jesus... Jesus does something to it. And the more we can do that, even the better. You see, we have to really believe what the Bible tells us. That when Jesus Christ forgave our sins and made us new, that that really happened. If you don't believe that happened, if all you believe is, oh, I prayed a prayer and, and God forgave me, and now I'm back out there trying to do my best. Now, you really don't know what Christianity is. We have to believe that we were transformed by the Spirit of God so that we might love as only God can love. And understand this, when we love like God, we love like God when we love who and how God loves. 
The first thing is the who, and we've already talked about that. It's everyone. But just in case you thought it's everyone but, let me make sure you understand. It's everyone, including enemies. It's everyone, including strangers. It's everyone, including people in need who can't do anything for you to help you. It's everyone, including ungrateful people who won't write you a thank you card. It's everyone, including people who won't respect your gift. And they might even make fun of it. We love them all. It's crazy. That's the who. The how, that's a little more difficult. And we see a few things just in the person of Jesus Christ, how God loves. How God loves, he, he becomes like us. And he doesn't just become like us, he lives among us. And he doesn't just live among us, he, he walks with us and he, he cares about us and he relates to us. He teaches us. And he doesn't just do that. He's willing to die for us. And he doesn't just do that. He actually dies for us. He gives everything. You see, we can get kind of that way. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love everybody at the church. Are you living life are you dwelling among the people in the church? Or are you only here when you have to be here? Are you only relating when you have to relate here? I've done a couple experiments on you and you don't know. But I have a couple of events that we plan where there's, there's nothing going on except hanging out together. And a lot of people, they cannot come. They will come if there's work to do. They will come if there's a project. They will come if we're getting together to pray. They will come for a Bible study. But if we just get together to hang out together, the question is, oh, what's the point? No need be there. We're not doing nothing. You're, you're doing something. You're living life together. If we don't even want to live together, what makes us think that we actually love each other? We see how God loves. And we see that that's the high standard he places upon us as a church. When we love like God, we reveal God. Listen to that. When we love like God, we reveal God. John uses this interesting phrasing at the end of um, this passage we read in verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God. And this phrasing is the same phrasing that he uses in John's gospel. In John 1.18, he he starts out the same way. He goes, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. 
And John doesn't put this word in, but I'm going to put it in there for you because it helps us understand it. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, and he's talking about Jesus, he has made him known. Interesting. No one has ever seen God, and he's kind of saying, but the closest we can get to seeing God is Jesus. And then here, back in verse 12, he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. He's saying, no one's ever seen God, but the closest we can see God is when we love one another with God's love. reveals God. And every time we do something less and claim to be a community of, 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 of Christians, every time we do something less than love, we do the opposite. We obscure God. We hide God. We distort the picture of God. But when we love, we reveal God. And we reveal God to, to at least three different groups. One is, we first of all, we reveal God to ourselves. When you've had these experiences, and I hope you all have at least a few of these experiences that you can hold on to, that you know, where you have, you have expressed God's perfect love, not all the time, because it was only for a moment, and not with everyone, but you express God's perfect love, and you know it happened, and you know it wasn't from you. That is all the evidence you should need that what Jesus said would happen when you have faith in Jesus Christ, that you would be made new, that it happened. Of course, if you've been around for, you know, like me, at least 50 years, hopefully there's more than just one. Hopefully you're not thinking back, yeah, back in 1973, you know, I really sacrificially loved someone. But you see, that's all the evidence you need. When brothers and sisters in Christ can love each other with this unconditional love, when they're not sitting there being so selfish, thinking about how everything affects them and instead of thinking about how it affects others, instead of thinking about the whole of the church and the witness of the church for the world, and, and, and when they get to that point, he's saying, that's it. You know something has happened. It's also evidence for all of us because now the love that you have is meeting the love that I have and it encourages me even more because I know it's just not me it's just not me trying to like maybe make things interpreted a certain way but I see more and more people who are doing this and I go all right our faith is stronger because we see more and more the evidence of the love that we have. And then, of course, it's a witness to the world. Again, we're not going to be perfect at it, and some of us are going to be much less perfect than others. But we love anyways. We love when, even when we don't feel like it. Even when we might not think it's authentic. We still love. 
It's not simply the Bible is true. The Bible is true. It's not simply I have faith. And I, it's this understanding that there is a love in me that was not there before, that I fight against sometimes, and I don't want to accept where it's leading me. But I know it's there, and I know it's growing, and it makes me love my enemies, and it makes me love people who irritate me, it makes me love people who are in need, and it helps me face my fears, it leads me into situations that I'm not sure what's going to happen, and it could be weird, and it could be awkward, and it's certainly going to be different, and I don't care. I'm going to do it. And so here's the question, why would God give us that love? So we could sit in our houses? So that we could come here to this place and just have our little moments together? No. He gives us that kind of power, that kind of love, so that we can be part of His plan to change the world. That's why. That's why. When I was growing up, my, one of my friends was like old before his time. And so he loved all the old songs, which some of you are going to go, those aren't old songs. Those are songs from when I was, you know, in college. But this one song was from, the 19, was from 1960. And it was called My Little Corner of the World. Anybody want to show their age? Anybody remember this song? Anita Bryant did it. Made the top 40. And it's kind of a sweet song. It's kind of got this nice sentiment. You know, I only put part of it up there, but it's like, oh, come along with me to my little corner of the world and dream a little dream in my little corner of the world. Tonight, my love, will share a sweet embrace. You'll soon forget there's any other place. And if you would care to stay in my little corner of the world, then we can hide away in my little corner of the world. I always knew I find someone like you. So welcome to my little corner of the world. Sweet, sweet song. Not in remotely Christian. <laughs> Goes against the biblical message. Not what the church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be our little corner of the world where we all come together so we can hide away from all the problems of the world. No, it's not the picture picture we get is, yeah, we come. We come together, and it is good. It is a blessing, but it's so that God might empower us to get out of our corner of the world. So many of us have been this way. We've been just living in our little corner of the world. And because of that, we don't feel any great need to be any more than what we are in Christ. Because it's good, and it's sweet, and it's comfortable. But it's not biblical. And it's not the gospel. And it's not why God made us. I want to be uncomfortable till the day I die. I don't ever want to get to the place where I've found my corner of the world. Oh, I'm tempted. I'm tempted. Years ago, my wife and I went to a church on Kauai and thought about being the pastor there, and it was so tempting. I loved Kauai. So fewer, fewer people, quiet, 
would have been great. Maybe someday I'll go back. But if I go back, I'm going to preach the same message. We're not here to create our little corner of the world in Waialai or in, in, on Kauai, in the islands. God has called us together. He's given us his incredibly powerful supernatural love so that we might change the world.